There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Wednesday morning, the 30th of August. Good morning with much debate and discussion for now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. As you know, about 12,000 members of the Garda Representative Association have been asked to vote on a motion of no confidence in the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris. I have confidence in the Commissioner. That's the Minister for Justice speaking to me yesterday. I asked Helen McEntee if the GRA votes no confidence in the Commissioner. Will Drew Harris's position be tenable? Absolutely. Um, I, I genuinely believe, um, having worked with him for the past three years, he is um, he's a man's integrity and he's somebody who works hard um, and look there are issues at the moment and there are issues um, that both he and the representative organisations want to address but my personal view and I have said this consistently is that the only way to resolve those issues are by people sitting around the table by engaging, by negotiating uh, and that is the way that this needs to be dealt with. So then I asked uh, the Minister, will she back uh, the Commissioner against rank and file Gardaí? Well no, what I've what I've said is I support the Commissioner um, and what I've also said is the only way to resolve this is by people getting around the table. So whether this vote is concluded and obviously if there is a, a yes or a no that doesn't change the fact that the issues that the GRA have raised, be it around rostering or anything else, still can only be resolved by people getting around the table. Um, the Commissioner has consistently said that he is ready and willing to get around the table. Um, but I also engage with members of Frank and File Gardaí, and I absolutely understand, particularly when it comes to the roster, how important this is for them, how important it is for their families, their, their work-life balance. Minister Helen McEntee. Tara McManus is uh, the Assistant General Secretary of the Garda Representative Association and on the line. It's a very good morning to you, Tara McManus. Thanks uh, for your time uh, this morning. Uh, the Minister telling us yesterday that uh, the Commissioner, Drew Harris, is ready and willing to sit around a table and enter into talks with you. Why will the Garda Representative Association not meet with the Commissioner? Good morning, Michael. Um, well, firstly, I think some of the Minister's comments yesterday are a little bit disingenuous um, in relation to sitting around the table. Um, the GRA are a solution-based organisation and we always want to sit around the table. And I think it's very important to point out to yourself and to your listeners that it was the Commissioner who withdrew from roster negotiations, not the GRA. 
he withdrew from uh, roster negotiations earlier on this year and referred that matter into the mechanisms of the WRC. Now, we always felt that there was still work that could have been done by sitting around the table and by negotiating, and we certainly did not want to see the rosters uh, moved over to the WRC. We believe that the solutions um, are contained around that table, and as an organisation, we actually offered a proposed roster that we felt addressed the issues of our members in relation to resourcing and in relation to work-life balance, but also addressed the concerns of the Commissioner and the number of issues that he has with regards to how many people are working at a particular time. Now, that proposed roster hasn't even been considered by Garda management, and we have written to them asking them to consider it and to come back to us with any of the issues that they felt you know, weren't workable or issues that they felt needed to be further addressed, and they haven't done that. So this idea that we're not willing to sit around the table is incorrect. And also, um, we sat around the table with uh, Minister McEntee's predecessor, uh, Simon Harris, last February. We had a very engaging conversation with him, and we felt that he was on board with us and that he was very keen to progress the issues that we wanted to progress. Since Minister McEntee has taken up her role in June, we have written to her on several occasions asking her to sit around the table and engage with us. And to date, she hasn't responded to us saying that she is willing to sit across the table from us. So we're, we, we would be a little bit frustrated about the comments that she made, that this all will be sorted by sitting around the table. That's all that we want to do as an association. And it's this frustration and this lack of engagement with us that has led us to where we are now, where we're actually balloting our members with regards to their views, whether or not they have confidence in the Commissioner. So... When you say the minister is disingenuous, you can't uh, agree with uh, the minister when she says uh, the commissioner is ready and willing to sit around the table to enter into talks, in other words, with you, uh, because experience has taught you otherwise. Uh, uh, And it it sounds from what you're saying that you feel let down by the minister, by Minister McEntee. She, ha- she hasn't addressed us or she hasn't spoken to us since she took up her post in June. I mean, we're almost in September now and there's been so many well-publicised issues in relation to assault, in relation to the whole roster issue and the fact that the Commissioner um, has announced that in November we will be reverting to the, the pre-COVID roster. These are all very serious issues um, and issues that have caused a lot of concern and frustration and worry among our members. And we would have thought that, you know, up until now that she would have actually come back to us and said, yes, let's sit around the table and let's, you know, discuss these issues. But to date, she hasn't done that. So we're more than willing to sit around the table. As I said, we're a solution-based organisation, you know, and we really feel that the answers to all of these issues are contained within the people who can sit around this table. But if we're not being given that opportunity to actually do that, then we find ourselves, as I said, in this unprecedented um, time and place where we're actually balloting our members with regards to the, the confidence that they have in the Commissioner. Okay, the Minister told us she meets with uh, the Commissioner on a regular basis, on a, a weekly basis, I, I think she said, uh, and she seems to have a, a fair understanding of uh, the Commissioner's position on all of this uh, and believes that he's ready and willing to sit down with you and discuss uh, these matters. Uh, but if you proceed with uh, this vote and the result is that rank and file Gardaí have no confidence in the Commissioner, uh, the Minister believes that the Commissioner's position will be tenable. Were you surprised to hear that? Uh, Well, look, 
Yes and no. I mean, you know, the government and the minister have, have stuck by, by their mantra that they will support the commissioner going forward. But um, look, we, we can't preempt what the results are going to of, of the ballot is going to be, and we're certainly not in a position to to stop the ballot as such. I mean, we already have significant numbers of the ballots have already been returned, and the indications are that this is going to be a very well returned ballot in that all our members are engaging and want to voice their opinions. Um, so we're looking at a very high return rate. Uh, we're expecting those ballots to be returned to us. On the 11th, they will be opened and analysed by an independent company on the 12th, and we will have the results on the 13th of September mm. as to what um, our membership are telling us. Um, I know you don't want to preempt the results, mm. but uh, is it not true to say that any chief of police who is told by the police force that they do not have confidence in his oversight of policing in a jurisdiction uh, is in a position that is no longer tenable? Well, it's like any CEO, uh, Michael, or manager of an organisation, you know, and to use the football analogy, you know, if you've lost the dressing room, where do you go from there? Um, and look, as I said, I, I don't want to preempt the result and I mm. certainly don't want to influence any Garda members that have that are no. listening and have yet have not yet filled in their ballots. Yeah. But, you know, that is that is something we will have to consider. You know, if, yeah. if you've lost the dressing room, if 11,000 members come back and say that they don't have confidence in the commissioner and his ability to, to lead the organisation, then you know, it would lead us to, to question where we go from there. OK, you know? and I, I suppose you're answering the questions uh, in hypothetical general terms mm. uh, in respect of any police force that loses the confidence of the police chief. Uh, in a circumstance like that, here or anywhere else, if uh, the police chief doesn't have the confidence of the force but has the confidence of the minister, uh, is there a question about the minister's position? Well, look, I wouldn't want to engage in any sort of discussion in relation to the minister or her position. But look, we, we find ourselves where only last week again the commissioner is on record once more saying that there is no issue, issue with morale. There is no issue in relation to retention. He said that the majority of people who are leaving are leaving because they want to go to different countries. I mean, you know, Michael, that I have been doing exit interviews with, with these members and I am now finished those exit interviews and I'm in the process of analysing the statistics. And I can tell you offhand, not one single person that I interviewed has left on Garda Shia because they want to go on their holidays or they want to go to another country. So, you know, he is out of touch with regards to what is actually happening on the ground. He's out of touch with regards to the morale issue. You know, morale is on the floor. We saw another... Um, another string of resignations in the most recent HQ bulletin, that brings our number up to 88 um, as we come into September. So mm. we're, we're on track to, you know, to, to um, overtake the number that we saw last year. Um, so, I mean, this, this situation is not getting any better. It's getting worse and worse. And we have a commissioner that just seems to be disconnected from what's happening on the ground, seems to be disconnected from the frustration that our members feel. And of course, you know, the big elephant in the room here is is the rosters and um, the work-life balance and the fact that our members are happy working on the COVID roster, the four-on, four-off, and do not want to go back to the six-on, four-off. And again, important to point out that it's the commissioner who's the only person on record to date saying that the 6-4 pre-COVID roster will not work. And he wrote to us in November outlining that it will not work. So we would ask what has happened in the meantime to okay. state that it will work. And there's the crux of where the frustration 
and the confidence issue comes up. Pat in Tully Allen thinks otherwise. He's emailed Michael at lmfm.ie in his email. He says that the GRA want rid of Commissioner Harris because he's holding Gardaí accountable for their actions. Gardaí don't clock in and out. And he wonders what the absenteeism rate is uh, and has asked me to put that to you. Well, when he says absenteeism, I wonder what he's, he's, he's talking about there. Um, and Gardaí do clock in and out. We have a system called the or, um, or the RDMS system, which actually um, is being piloted across the country and has been rolled out. So Gardaí do clock in and out and have to account for where they are at all times, whether they're working or whether they're on annual leave or whether they're on rest days. So this idea that, you know, guards are doing their own thing is absolutely not correct. Uh, we have no difficulty with the Commissioner um, overseeing anybody in relation to, I, I presume he's referring to discipline there and, and members who are, you know, obviously who are, you know, in mm. breach of code or, or whatever. We have no difficulty with that whatsoever. You know, in a big organisation such as Angarda Sheikana, you're always going to have people who, who do things that are in breach of discipline or, you know, that are incorrect. We've no difficulty with that. We have the difficulty with the long-term suspensions. We've almost 120 members on long-term suspension mm. with no you know, end to it, you know, three, four, five years suspended and nobody telling them where their case is at. I mean, you wouldn't do that to somebody that you were prosecuting. You know, you wouldn't leave a case go for five years without coming back to them saying, you know, you're due in court or you're going to be charged or whatever the case may be. So, you know, mm. the same rules should be applied to members of Angarda okay. Sheikana. There's another reason, I suppose, another reason, I suppose, why Gardaí are not at work, why they're absent, if you like. And there's uh, uh, the probability, uh, I'm sure, uh, if uh, it's not the case, uh, that there's two Gardaí absent uh, from work uh, today after being attacked on mm. Monday night, Tuesday morning. Uh, they were called to a public order offence. Uh, one of them, as we've been hearing on LMFM's news, was kicked in the face a number of times. Another uh, Garda was bitten. Uh, this was on the Greenore Road in Carlingford. A uh, dreadful uh, incident. Two people under arrest, I believe. Yeah, and we, we had a number of incidents over the weekend, Michael. We had another incident as well in, in Dublin, in, in, Dublin in, in the Mount Joy area that happened on Monday morning where we had a member very badly injured who has uh, damage to their eye socket, who has a displaced jaw and a number of stitches across their mouth and face area. Uh, another guard that responded to assist there uh, also received injuries. And then we had that dreadful incident that happened as well um, out in Carlingford as well um, on Monday evening with two of, two of my former colleagues actually in Louth. And again, um, all of these members required hospital treatment and will be out sick for some time, recovering from their, their physical injuries initially. But then, of course, you've got the mental issues, that the mental injuries that come along with assaults of that type. This is becoming commonplace now. And again, this comes back to, you know, the violence that we have on our streets mm. and the fact that we just don't have enough guards to respond to these violent incidents. OK, is it as bad as people say? Because uh, the guardie. Uh, as a force interviewed 7,650 people face-to-face interviews the results of uh, that survey were published yesterday we went through quite a a lot of uh, the findings uh, but people say that local crime is not a serious problem 63% of people have no fears or very few fears about crime yeah, and look, we always welcome the results of the Public Attitude Survey, and we're very lucky in that for the last number of years, we have enjoyed um, we've enjoyed the population's confidence in members of Angarda Sheikhan, and I think that is a real sign of credit to, to the, the lads and lassies, particularly of our organisation, because let's be honest, 
for every member of the public, the majority of your dealings are going to be with, you know, members of Garda rank who are out in patrol cars, who are out on the beat or whatever. So, you know, it's great to see that there is that response and that the public have um, such confidence in the members of Angarda Siakana, in our members, to go out and do their job. Um, so, you know, we always welcome the results of that because it just shows how hard our members are actually working on the ground. Okay, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed. As always for joining us today, Tara McManus, Assistant General Secretary of the GRA, that's the Garda Representative Association. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, the kids are back at school and you hope they get there and back very safely. But what happens when they're in school, uh, when they're under the supervision and care of uh, their teachers? How would you feel if uh, your teenage girl came home and told you that their teacher was talking about how she spends time with an older boy in the school during the breaks, implying that she was getting a reputation for herself and this was being discussed in the staff room. Or if the teacher said to your little girl that he had heard that she had been a naughty girl at the weekend and that he wouldn't mind seeing that side of her. How about your daughter coming home and telling you that the teacher um, was telling her that if she wasn't his student, things would be very different between us at the age of 14 and that he would make comments about her body or be winking when she walked past? Or if your Uh, daughter came home and told you that her her teacher rubbed her thigh while she was sitting on a a table waiting for the class to end and when she went to go to the bathroom he'd asked if she needed any assistance with anything in there and then winked at her or a teacher opening the shirt of a young girl touching her chest and then playing it off uh, saying that he was looking at her sunburn Well, these are situations that have all been reported by people who have left school, who are over the age of 18 via a social media platform. And uh, the results of this are are being made uh, public uh, today. Uh, You've been hearing a a little bit about it uh, in the bulletins um, from uh, Nolene Blackwell, who is uh, the CEO of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre and on the line with us. And a very good morning to you, Nolene, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today. Uh, it's really shocking. It's really shocking to think that teachers would be talking to pupils in the ways that uh, I've just outlined. Uh, but that uh, appears to be the case. Yeah. So this. So this is. Um, this is a, a useful study. It's the first one of its kind that has been done in Europe. But in fact, such surveys have been happening in North America, particularly in the United States, for the past twenty, thirty years at least. And what's really important to say is that, for the most part, everyone understands that teachers are superb people and have the best interests of their students at heart all the time. And, and, and that this is an outlier. This is not the norm for uh, school children. And it's not the norm for teachers, but that it happens and that it is reported by young adults in Ireland and the UK, which is the the country studied 
by by the various universities involved in this is 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 very distressing and needs to be um, uh, and needs to be addressed because every school, it, it, so if those youngsters who were talking young adults who were talking were aged between eighteen and twenty four and a lot of them were they went to school in Ireland in a time where safeguarding was absolutely the norm it was the law that there had to be safeguarding in place to ensure that teachers uh, didn't uh, that that teachers recognized where children were suffering abuse from outside the school and that teachers knew that they were not allowed to engage in this kind of sexual harassment um, and and they have another term in this sexist harassment uh, people being treated uh, uh, the way they are because of their sex so so clearly a lot has been done by putting those safeguarding policies in place. So necessary when we see the abuse that uh, you are recording um, and that you're um, also reporting on in relation to times gone by. But but there is still this uh, problem where teachers must know, a tiny number of teachers must know that the behaviour they do is wrong, is not acceptable and still they uh, and still they're getting away with it and and there have to we have to improve the ways in which people children and young people can report these incidents safely and there have to be ways in which schools have to up their game in terms of a total intolerance of anything that might constitute that and all of the teaching community have to join in that and say Absolutely, we will not stand mm. by, we will not see it, we will not say this is a good teacher, uh, so therefore we should leave them. We will not say this is a young teacher and maybe they'll grow out of it. It has to be stamped out. It's Do, does there need to be an information campaign? Does there need to be a, a campaign educating students what is acceptable and unacceptable behaviour? Because uh, it would seem, reading through some of the comments, that the young people weren't sure uh, one yeah. one young girl said uh, that her friends said that a teacher was flirting with her, but she wasn't sure. And, and then when she left school, he contacted her and asked her on a, a date. So the friends must have been right. They must have seen something. But the young girl involved didn't cop it, if you like. Yeah, so there's an awful lot of work we still have to do. I mean, one of the steps forward that's happening literally next month, or this month, just as um, junior cycle are going into school, is that the curriculum is being updated in relation to a greater understanding and a greater awareness for children of what respect for their body looks like, what boundaries look like. These are teachers who are breaching boundaries. I, I don't for a moment... I give them the credit of saying they didn't know what they were doing. Every teacher knows that that kind of behaviour is wrong. They are all third level educated. It is not acceptable for them to do it. So they know it's wrong. So children and young people need better education. For junior cycle, they hopefully will get it this year. Senior cycle should get it next year. And that's a move forward in the Department of Education. But actually, consistently, these studies, when they're done in the States, show that there is um, a tolerance sometimes of it, that somebody doesn't want to lose a good teacher or a new teacher Mm. or a male teacher in a female school. Um, And so they will they will turn a blind eye to it. And that blind eye has to stop as well. And there has to be a culture in the school where the principal and the management in a school are saying 
we believe in children's rights to to be respected to their own boundaries, not to be abused in schools, and we will educate our teachers as well as our students in what that looks like. It's it's uh, it's absolutely unacceptable. And in that study, you know, it's UK and Ireland, but there were two hundred Irish respondents in it. So, like, that's a lot of. That's a lot of children um, where 80, uh, mm. 70, 75% of about three in four of those actually experience sexual harassment. Like mm. that's, that's 150 kids uh, who are now young adults yeah. who shouldn't have had uh, that experience of abuse. Mm. So it's a useful mm. study for us and a wake-up call that it can happen on this side of the Atlantic as well. Yeah, it's shocking really. Uh, and uh, reports of inappropriate behaviour in school and out of school. Uh, One of the women now aged uh, between 25 and 34 said that she and her friends were at a a social uh, event. There was a teacher there. Uh, He'd asked her to dance. Uh, When they were dancing, he grabbed my ass and then tried to kiss me. Uh, I, I ran off to my friend, she said, and we laughed about it. Later, he licked my neck when we were all drinking shots at the table. At the time, I thought it was a joke, but I was 17. It, it was horrible, and I still think about it, and it makes my skin crawl. Yes, yes, it was. It was horrible. And and she's entitled to feel disgusted by it. Um, and again, you don't know what to do with it. You see, it's the one case where it is perfectly clear that there's a total imbalance of power. The teacher has the power. The pupil does not no matter how good they are, no matter how independent-minded they are, the teacher is still in a position of power. The teacher is abusing that power, and there can be absolutely no tolerance of behaviour like that. I mean, that was that was downright abusive. But the other instances, yeah, the, the business where teachers know or ought to know better. So if there's to be an information campaign, you really do have to look and say, does every teacher in this school understand uh, that, that this behaviour is absolutely not acceptable, will not be tolerated, will be disciplined, and 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 children and young people will have a way of reporting it as well. So, you know, it's unless we are ever vigilant, uh, this kind of thing can creep in, and it is always there. And this university study now just did it in a very scientific way and um, found out the evidence. And we we know that schools have to guard against it. It doesn't help if you're a single-sex school either. Things can happen in single-sex yeah. schools. Uh, so uh, so there's a, a lot of, of work still to be done to ensure that teachers don't abuse their power, that they don't engage in inappropriate behaviour, and that children and young people are given the tools that they need to know that this is not acceptable and and that it is wrong and that they can and should uh, be able to say it to somebody. Right, uh, I'm glad to hear you say it's a wake-up call uh, because uh, when I read about this, uh, I felt very naive thinking that it, it never uh, could have happened. It never would have dawned on me that it's something that could be happening in the schools. Uh, the uh, research uh, was done by a, a number of universities 
universities, including University of Galway. Uh, it says uh, that reporting mechanisms need to be put in place that enable students or concerned staff, for that matter, to report misconduct without fear of repercussions. And I, I take it, Nolina, that you agree with that. Absolutely. Uh, that that, that, uh, that reporting, that easy way of reporting, the reporting to a safe, known person, even if a, a child or a young person isn't sure, you know, to just be able to say, I felt uncomfortable when this happened and to know that they won't be punished for it, either academically or with their friends or in their school. And then I really think there is, um, and I think the study shows as well, that that uh, place where teachers say, look, I've enough to be doing with my time without worrying about how that teacher is behaving or I don't want that teacher to go because they're a good teacher. So that is still a bit of a culture in schools and, and that also has to be... Um, so, so teachers who are concerned have to be able to report it mm. safely uh, but, and management have to take a lead in saying this school is, is a school where none absolutely none of such behaviour, no abuse, physical, sexual, any kind of abuse, emotional, is tolerated in this school and, and, uh, and insist that that is, that that is the, the value of the school, the ethos of the school. Okay, Nolene, thank you. For people listening to us uh, who have uh, concerns about sexual assault, or rape, uh, there is a 24-hour helpline available from uh, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. It's free to call 1-800-77-8888. 24 hours a day, free of charge, 1-800-77-8888. And our thanks today, as always, to Nolene Blackwell, Chief Executive of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the General Secretary of uh, the Irish National Teachers Organisation is writing about uh, the government's commitment to investing in primary education and how over the last three years the results, he says, have been mixed. Uh, Some progress uh, which he outlines uh, in the newspaper, but he also says there's been a notable delay, lethargy or frankly an insufficient response on the part of of the government to what the INTO believes are urgent calls and that as investors in primary education John Boyle says we lag far behind other developed countries spending 12.5% less than the OECD average. The INTO has just published its pre-budget submission and let's speak to Adrian Kelly who is uh, representative of the INTO Central Executive Committee. Good morning to you, Adrian. Thanks for joining us on the programme today. And as part of your submission, you're asking the government to address that deficit in investment by increasing funding to schools by some 20%. Yes, Michael. Listen, thank you. It's great to be on your show. Um, As you pointed out there, and as our General Secretary has pointed out, we sort of lag behind in the resources that we provide to schools in the OECD and yeah we would look we have four main asks really that we're looking for but one of those would be a, a, an increase in the in the capitation to schools of 20% which really is not an increase it's more a restoration back to what the levels were in say 2008 we're still paying the price for the austerity cuts that took place almost uh, 15 years ago Right, and those capitation grants help the schools to pay for the bills turn on the lights the heat and that sort of thing Correct, and it works out it's around about a euro a day per child 
Um, it works out about 183 euros for, for for primary schools, and we lag long, a good bit behind our secondary school colleagues. And we would love to be at their level. There about two euros a day per per pupil in secondary school. Now I know the secondary mm. schools are larger buildings and maybe have a, a more increased cost, but. Um, I think in 2023, we should be ahead of where we were 15 years ago rather than, say, 20% behind where we were 15 years ago. But the Minister has been talking uh, quite a a lot recently uh, about significant increases in the capitation grant, so significant, in fact, that the Minister says that the schools shouldn't be asking parents for voluntary contributions, that they should have enough money to cover the bills. Well, there have been a, a number of welcome initiatives by the minister and by the government, and we did get a once-off increase last year due to the spiralling costs, uh, energy costs and the cost of living. We got a 40% increase, but it would be great if that was maintained, um, and it's a, well, very welcome that we're getting um, we're getting the free books for the for sco- scheme for, for parents. That's very welcome. But uh, again, as I say, uh, that nothing is getting cheaper in schools. We're trying to invest into into a world class educational system. We're doing really, really well in that. But uh, schools are at the pin of their collar, and unfortunately, I don't. It would be great to get contributions from parents for things that would enhance the school in in extra ways, rather than looking for the day to day necessities to keep the schools open. Okay, the minister set out uh, to reduce the pupil teacher ratio. Uh, but you want uh, government to do more in that respect? Well, we're delighted to see that there has been a uh, reduction in pupil-teacher ratio over the last couple of years. Now, we've looked for a a reduction of two pupils per class, and we've got one in the last number of years. And we'll be hoping to make a final push this year. If we got a reduction of two, it would bring us in line with the um, EU average of, of class sizes, and that would be fantastic. And we have already got a very, very overloaded curriculum, Schools are sort of the first avenues where we've come across the effects of, of COVID and, and the last number of years. And as you know, we're also looking for an increase in, in funding that will help to mental health supports for schools. Mm. But in relation to class size, uh, you know, it, it helps everybody. And I mean, we're, we're delivering a new uh, curriculum has been uh, rolled out now in the next coming years. And every new initiative that lands in schools is another workload burden for the schools. And I think Sometimes, I mean, one of our other asks also is in relation to the restoration of middle management posts. But we would certainly, we would always welcome a reduction in class size. So, as I said, if we could get a reduction of two pupils, that would bring us in line with the EU average, and we'd be delighted with that. All right, and the EU average is about 20 pupils in a classroom uh, with yeah. uh, one teacher. Here, uh, it's nearly 23, 22.8 pupils. Uh, what impact is uh, the uh, refugee situation having on class sizes? Well, the impact, obviously, with there there are additional additional children in the classes, but it's the it's the other impact they have is that they're coming from sort of a lot of them coming from say war and war torn countries, and they're traumatized and they need the mental health supports, they need psychologists, they need the HSE involvement, and as you know. That process can take a very, very long time. You can apply for resources, and if you're lucky, it will take months, but it's more likely it'll take years to, 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 to reach the classroom floor. And that's why we're looking for an increase in uh, mental health support for the schools, say 20 euros per child, which will allow schools and principals 
to maybe uh, fast track support that they can get on their on, on their doorstep if possible if it's there initiatives to help with say nurture rooms in schools or to help with say play therapy and initiatives like that to bring into schools that, that principals and schools can do on an individual basis and principals and what about vice principals well, we're looking for more uh, assistant principals as well. And again, um, I use the word restoration. We're looking at going back to figures that we had in, say, 2009, 2010. And we're about 2,400 2, posts short of that. And even for uh, incentives for school staff to allow for progression, for allow for promotion. And as I said, to help the principals and assistant and deputy principals to, in, to implement all the new initiatives that are landing on our doors every day. And it's, look, they're all good. And they all help. And we all want to do them. And we all want to be involved in it. But we certainly need the supports and we certainly need that, that, that middle management structure to be there. OK. Adrian, we have to leave it there. But thank you indeed uh, for joining us today. Adrian Kelly of the INTO Central Executive Committee. Now, if you want to comment on the programme today, 0419832000, the telephone number, text or WhatsApp, 086 email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, thanks uh, to Mary for the phone call uh, this morning. Mary tells us she was shocked listening to the news report about that horrible attack on two local Gardaí. What on earth is wrong with people that they are carrying out these dreadful acts? Those two guards were just doing their job, responding to a call out in Carlingford, only to end up being attacked like that, getting kicked in the face and bitten. It's disgusting behaviour. Nobody should have to face something like that when they're working. And Mary says she hopes the buck is thrown at those responsible. In her opinion, there should be a stronger punishment for people who injure or attack emergency response workers. They put their bodies and their lives on the line every day to keep society safe and they deserve to be treated with respect. Thanks, Mary, for your call. Paddy, thank you as well for ringing us today. He says anyone who carries out an attack against a Garda, an EMT or an emergency worker should be uh, carried with uh, crimes against the state type of offence and it should carry a huge penalty or punishment that might make these cowards who commit these offences think twice. And uh, you'd never know, it might uh, make them have a, a bit of manners too, Paddy says. Thanks uh, for your call. 0419832000 is our telephone number. Some text messages uh, that have come to us. Uh, one from John about the email uh, that we read out earlier on uh, from Pat wondering uh, why uh, the Gardaí are so concerned with uh, Drew Harris and if it's because he's calling them to account. John says, I want wonder if that man who sent in that comment uh, would feel if he went out and got kicked around the streets, streets, I beg your pardon, he's safe at home, says John. Thank you. Paddy Duffy in touch with us a few times. Paddy, I didn't understand your concrete socks uh, text. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, but he says, Drew Harris should never have been appointed as a guard commissioner in the first place. He came from the most discredited police force, the RUC in Europe, for Christ's sake, Paddy says. Uh, well, I think... Uh, 
the PSNI was his last post before on Garda Shia Khan and Paddy. He also says you have to realise that serving Garda, and this includes uh, representative organisations like the GRA, have to watch what it is that they're saying. Remember, it is a disciplined force. Thanks, as I say, Paddy, for your text. Our text number is 0861800658. A number of WhatsApp messages uh, then. Um, we had uh, somebody in touch with us. Uh, this is Paddy and Terman Feckin, uh, who says, I, I hope uh, you'll watch the uh, clip I'm sending out to you. I hope you'll forgive me, Paddy, for not clicking on the click uh, on the on the clip uh, or the link, uh, because um, that's what we're advised uh, to do, not to uh, open uh, links when they're sent to you like that. Uh, but it's obviously to do with um, cashless society. He says. Um, this idea of going cashless or to be more precise, relying on electronic currencies. Uh, I'd like you to raise this or even discuss what uh, Paddy calls the train wreck that's coming fast down the tracks. Look at what happened to air traffic failure with thousands stranded and costing maybe a hundred million pounds if we were to believe that it was just an error of data input. My concern is when we do go cashless, what happens when systems go down or are deliberately shut down? Why are we blindly following a few misguided leaders, says Paddy. Well, thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, we had uh, Peter uh, in touch with us about Helen McIntyre, the Minister for Justice, and indeed the number of Gardaí in uh, County Meath, the lowest in the country per capita. Uh, Peter says he's concerned about that. He's tried to meet with the Minister about it. Uh, you might be... Uh, happy to hear uh, that we spoke to the Minister about that yesterday. Uh, it is of course uh, a decision for the Commissioner uh, as uh, I imagine you know Peter uh, the Commissioner decides uh, how many guards go uh, to whichever places. Uh, but the Minister did say that she's spoken to Drew Harris uh, about it. Thanks uh, for your WhatsApp message or WhatsApp number 0861800658. Um, uh, an email uh, that comes to me from Owen O'Reilly in relation to the ongoing uh, story about Brother Edmund Garvey's freedom of uh, Drogheda and the vote that will take place next Monday. Uh, and he says, Michael Cibolo, a message of support uh, that he sent to Damien O'Farrell regarding uh, the council vote. Uh, and he says, hi, Damien. Uh, hopefully I'm one of many people writing to you to commend you on your appearance on RTE yesterday evening. Um, this was covered uh, on RTE yesterday evening on uh, Today FM the day before. It's in the Irish Independent today. Interesting article in the Irish Independent about the politics of it all. And we might talk about that in a, a few minutes. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's time. Uh, of course, it's had extensive coverage in uh, the Irish Times and on this program. Um, excuse me, Owen goes on to say it was courageous and deeply moving to hear you speak on behalf of the victims of abuse by the Christian Brothers in Drogheda for an organisation claimed to be Christian yet pursue such a heinous legal policy against its victims is appalling. Whilst they can delay and adopt this uh, policy, I sincerely hope that each and every one of these sick abusers is brought before the courts and the victims can see some small piece of justice. Thank you, Owen. I have to say uh, that the people that Damien uh, represents uh, are people who were abused by Christian brothers who have all been evicted, uh, convicted. Uh, many of them sent to jail, some of them still in jail. Um, and what's happening now is uh, that they're trying to get redress. Uh, but the Christian brothers are blocking that path to justice because of a strategy they've adopted which is legally permissible. Uh, and they're uh, allowed to do, do this. Uh, the Minister for Justice yesterday said it was appalling that anybody would adopt such a strategy that would frustrate victims of child sexual abuse from getting justice. Um, but that's what's happening. Uh, another email that comes to me from John Walsh and Drawed about this. He says, I'm writing to express my deep concern and disappointment regarding recent statements made by some councillors in Drogheda or the way they failed to make a statement to your programme. It has come to my attention that these councillors have chosen to respond with no comment to the pressing issue of how Brother Edmund Garvey and his so-called Christian brothers are obstructing victims of child sexual abuse from gaining justice in the courts, leaving victims and concerned citizens like myself in a state of dis belief and frustration. I find it appalling that elected representatives who are entrusted with the responsibility of representing the interests of the public have chosen not to address such a critical and sensitive matter. Child sexual abuse is a grave issue that affects the lives of survivors and has a profound impact on our community as a whole. It is essential that our elected officials show empathy transparency and a commitment to addressing this issue with the seriousness it deserves. Instead, it seems that some of them at least empathised with a well-got, wealthy, respectable family, which they don't want to upset by condemning how Brother Edmund Garvey is behaving. He's choosing to use the law against victims. The victims of child sexual abuse deserve our support, compassion and justice. It is the duty of the councillors to advocate for their rights and well-being to ensure that they are heard, but the councillors themselves are refusing to listen to the victims. Give me a break, Michael. Are these people actually public representatives or do they represent an inner circle of well-to-do people over the rest of us, the ordinary public. I urge your listeners, Michael, to get in touch with these people and remind the councillors of their responsibilities and obligations to the people of Drogheda. 
the public's trust in our electorate representatives hinges on their willingness to engage in open and constructive dialogue about pressing issues, especially those as sensitive as child sexual abuse and what victims have to say. Avoiding commentary on such matters is not a responsible or ethical course of action. We don't want no comment. We want to hear what is going on in their minds before they vote on rescinding Garvey's freedom of Drada. And if they want Drada to continue to honour someone who is responsible for a lot of upset. Not in my name, I say. And if others feel the way I do, please contact your local councillor and let them know how you want them to vote. Thank you indeed, uh, John Walsh in Drogheda, for your email to the programme. We would Laura on the phone to us. Uh, oh, by the way, our email address is michael.lmfm.ie. Uh, we would Laura on the phone to us uh, this morning. She was very disturbed by that piece with Nolene Blackwell and how teachers are behaving. Uh, she was gobsmacked to hear uh, some of the examples uh, that we read out uh, reported to the survey by students. How on earth did some of those teachers get away with how they behaved? Those poor students, she says, they must have been so confused by it all. Laura says her eyes have been opened after hearing how many students have experienced some kind of harassment and she'll be checking in with her kids regularly from now on. Dave, uh, thanks for your call as well. He says, well, of course, Helen McEntee is not going to come out and say she's no confidence in the Garda Commissioner because if she did, then that would be admitting that she and her colleagues have made a mistake in making the appointment. And we all know that government will never admit to making mistakes. Dave says the minister needs to bear in mind that it's the boots on the ground she needs to be listening to as they have hands-on experience of dealing with crime on a daily basis and they need to know where the resources and assistance are needed. The minister needs to handle this properly before law and order is completely lost in this country. Thanks Dave uh, for your call. 041983 the telephone number text or WhatsApp 086 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM Well, yesterday I asked uh, Minister for Justice Helen McEntee if she would make any comment on this legal strategy that uh, the Christian Brothers have adopted which is obstructing victims of child sexual abuse from gaining access to justice through the courts when they seek redress. Um, so while, while I won't comment on any one particular group or any one particular case, um, my own personal view is that any organisation, any group that would intentionally form themselves into a legal entity that would prevent people who are entitled to and should absolutely get redress, be it victims of child sexual abuse or any other type of victim or survivor, it is absolutely wrong and should not be the case. Now, I know the Law Reform Commission, um, which is chaired by Frank Clark, is looking at this particular structure and this particular issue at the moment, um, and he will have to make recommendations. While the Law Reform Commission does not fall under my remit, it, it's under Taoiseach's, uh, my understanding is any changes to legislation would potentially be through the Department of Business and Enterprise um, because of what we're talking about here in terms of the legal structures. But I would absolutely support that change. I think any group or organisation that would intentionally change their legal structure to prevent victims from getting redress is absolutely wrong and should not be the case. But look, we, we have to await this report um, and depending on the, the recommendations, I will obviously engage with with my colleagues on this, whether it's at Cabinet or, or otherwise. Right, that's the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee. Absolutely wrong and she would support a change in the law which would prevent 
the strategy that is being used by the Christian Brothers to thwart victims of child sexual abuse from gaining redress. Uh, let's speak uh, to Finian McGrath, who is a former Minister of State for Disability uh, and on the line with us. And a very good morning to you, Finian McGrath. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. We asked you to join us because uh, this strategy was adopted by Brother Edmund Garvey, introduced by Brother Edmund Garvey, overseen by Brother Edmund Garvey. Uh, since 2017. Uh, you were uh, a government minister, but not just a government minister. Damien O'Farrell worked with you. Damien represents uh, the victims. Why didn't you intervene? Well, can I say, first of all, uh, Michael, before I answer that question uh, uh, comprehensively, I'd li- like to make three sharp points in relation to the broader issue before we go into the details of your question. I think, first of all, our focus has to be on the victims and the survivors of child sexual abuse by the Christian brothers. This is not a political uh, campaign in any way. It's a a campaign of compassion for the victims. Secondly, it has to be on what the victims themselves they want. They have to be our priority, and we have to listen to the victims. And thirdly, they want us to support them, and that's why I'm here this morning on your show, because they want us, they want to rescind the freedom of Drada from Brother Garvey because of the legal strategy deployed by the Christian brothers and particularly instigated by, uh, by Brother Garvey. And uh, the final point I make in relation to uh, the issue of child sexual abuse, I want to particularly commend Councillor Mayavior for her magnificent work, for her courage, for her compassion, for her integrity, and also commend Paddy McQuillan, uh, Councillor Paddy McQuillan, for supporting the motion to remove the freedom of Drada from Garvey. Okay. So in relation to your particular question, can I add that... Uh, when I was in government, and I was at the cabinet table, and I'll tell you very, very clearly what I did, because I, this issue came up at the Louth County Council meeting, which I attended. I think it was Councillor Cutlip. So I'd like to ch- say what I did when I was in government and what Damien O'Farrell did. First of all, from day one, from government 2016 to 2020, we always supported all of the victims of child sexual abuse. I was the minister at the time, by the way, who set up the Grace Inquiry into another uh, serious case. That was the first file, Michael, that was on my desk when when I arrived. Now, in relation to the particular issue and Brother Garvey and the Christian Brothers, as soon as I was contacted by a constituent who was a victim of child sexual abuse, I, I, we, we met the victim and found exactly what they wanted. I immediately contacted Brother Garvey and made, uh, and, and made a very detailed submission to him in relation to uh, this particular issue and also as an advocate for, for, uh, for people, uh, uh, for victims of child sexual abuse. And I also pointed out very, very clearly in my letter on the 5th of March 2020 that what he was doing is contrary to the earlier uh, decisions of the Congregation of the Christian Brothers to meet such claims in a candid and conciliatory and fair manner. I also said to him that I was prepared to discuss the issue with him privately to see can we move it on. The second thing I did was I also contacted him again on the 21st of April and I asked him to reconsider the approach being taken by you on behalf of the congregation of the Christian Brothers in going to such lengths to defend, uh, to, 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 to make life very, very difficult for the victims. 
the other issue, the other things we did while we were in government was we also called a meeting with the Attorney General, with the Minister for Education, the Secretary General of the Department of Education uh, on child abuse and in particular at the time in relation to the Louise O'Keefe case. I don't know if you remember that particular case. Of course, yeah. But I always remember that meeting very clearly because I actually gave on the day when I was de- dealing with the Minister for Education I gave the lead part of that meeting and I remember Damien O'Farrell absolutely hammering at home on behalf of the victims, making all the points to all these senior officials in education. And after the meeting, he made such an excellent submission and with such genuine compassion and also professionalism that a lot of senior heads, including the Minister of Education at the time, Richard Bruton, told me privately they, they just thought that Damien made a fantastic uh, 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 submission on that day and was impressive. So we dealt with these kind of issues. We didn't hide under the table and we defended them. We also, we also dealt with other, uh, other issues as well. But the other, thing we sh- the other thing we did as well was that, uh, 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 that we constantly kept the issue on the agenda. But also remember, from my point of view, uh, I was uh, one uh, voice in, in the cabinet table. But and, and at all cabinet meetings on any of the Louise O'Keefe case, all issues of child sexual abuse, I was on the record at cabinet of being banging the table on behalf of these people. So we're very proud of the record. But just to let you know, because you mentioned uh, Helen McEntee there in your introduction, in recent weeks, what I've done as well, I've also contacted Helen as, as the new Minister for Justice on this particular issue, and I was delighted to hear that she is prepared to support it. So I think we've now reached the stage where the Law Reform Commission are going to come back and they will to change the rule. But the bit, not to get away from the issue, though, the issue is Brother Garvey can do this tomorrow morning if he backs off and supports the victims and stops this policy and this could be the interim solution to the problem for the victims of child sexual abuse. So I think that's the answer and I think it's important as well that you answer that, that you ask that question because that has come up before as I mentioned at the Low County Council meeting, I think it was Councillor Cutler raised it. So I'm clearly answering what I and Damien O'Farrell did yeah. when we were in government there wasn't a day. All of our staff I think of uh, my Donny Carney office, my doll mm, office, mm. I think of Damien, Lorraine, Eleanor, Rogine. All my staff are all prepped. If any query comes through on abuse, we deal with that. That get, gets first priority and had the same kind of policy okay. in relation to families of people with Well, that certainly was a, a comprehensive answer. Can I ask you a, another question? And that yep. is if you are being fair or if Damien O'Farrell is being fair for that matter uh, Edmund Gar- to Edmund Garvey or, or the Christian Brothers. Edmund Garvey uh, uh, or the brothers, uh, the order, uh, have not responded to media queries in recent times about this. Uh, But I think uh, we've an insight into Brother Edmund Garvey's thinking on this. And I just want to read a a part of a letter that was sent to Damien O'Farrell in June of 2022 by Brother Edmund Garvey. Uh, in which he says, I believe it is deeply regrettable that matters that are the subject of ongoing legal proceedings, which limits the scope for any public commentary or defence, with an associated entitlement to due process, are being unilaterally prejudiced by erroneous allegations of unjust or obstructive tactics. And he says, 
I think it is reasonable to expect that due process and the rights of both plaintiffs and defendants to have a court reach an informed decision in the event the parties cannot agree a settlement resolution in the interim. Is it fair, because my reading of that is that you're using the law against the Christian brothers. Uh, I'm absolutely astounded by that statement. There's only two issues here that what uh, Councillor Damien O'Farrell is doing. He's representing the victims of child sexual abuse. That's the first thing. The second point I'll make is, I think that Brother Garvey is hiding behind the law himself. Because, the, and I've heard it on television and radio programs as well, that uh, the, the people are putting the side of Brother Garvey on this issue, saying Brother Garvey did nothing wrong. No, that is not true. What, he did, what the real factual case is, Michael, is he did nothing illegal, but he has done plenty of wrongs. He is making, for example, he is making the victims suffer more because he could just change it tomorrow morning. That is wrong. What happened to the victims was horrendous, violent sexual abuse on children. And we need to remind ourselves when we talk about sexual abuse in in 2023, this was horrific abuse, violent attacks on little boys and little girls. And if you think of our families and our children and our grandchildren, Mm. that was wrong. And his legal strategy as, as well and further abuse of the victims, that is wrong. So what I appealed mm. this morning is... Well, in that same letter, just to put another point to you, in that same letter, Brother Edmund Garvey says that it <clears throat> is grossly inaccurate and misleading to describe that legal strategy as an obstructive legal tactic. But I, I just totally reject that because... This issue could be resolved, as I said, by leadership from from Brother Garvey and the Christian Brothers. This could be done tomorrow morning. We're in the meantime. We're going to we're working way behind the scenes to see can we change the law and hopefully Frank Clark and the Law Reform Commission come back with a with a sensible solution. But in what I'm interested in this morning is we have a person of authority that brought in a scheme that is not helping the victims, but it's also strongly against their own ethos, and they're also making their own innocent members of the Christian Brothers go through this process. And I think that's wrong. It it might be very much legal, and I take the legal argument, but by God, I'm not going to roll over and say, this is wrong, wrong, wrong. People should stop playing games with the with the victims of child sexual abuse and that's why I'm p- saying to councillors this morning mm. support the victims of child sexual abuse and don't be distracted by any other things coming on the picture because I think there's a number of distractions coming in and there's rows going on uh, within the council right. debates going on and, uh, but the bottom line is that it, we're taking our focus off the victims of child sexual abuse Okay, as a, a former minister uh, I'm sure you have a, a better understanding of, of uh, local government and legislation than most of us do I want to ask you a question uh, that has a number of parts to it because you said you were at that meeting of Louth County Council when that motion was debated and uh, voted on but it should have been debated and voted on a a number of months before that uh, but it was withdrawn from the agenda by the Chief Executive of Louth County Council, Joan Martin. There has been concern uh, that she interfered with what should have been a reserve function of local councillors and that that may have been in breach of 
of the Local Government Act. The Cahirlic at the time was very unhappy about it. Uh, and uh, this vote now is to take place on Monday um, with uh, three working days, four working days to go. Uh, the same Chief Executive of Loud County Council, Joan Martin, has written to all of the 10 councillors who are going to vote on Monday and has questioned the legal basis of a uh, decision to rescind the freedom of Drogheda from Brother Edmund Garvey. Uh, there's a, a clear concern in this letter that it, it may not uh, be legally plausible for them to do this. Uh, we're going to discuss that on the programme in uh, some more detail uh, tomorrow, I think. But we have contacted uh, the Department of Local Government. They say this is a reserve function for the councillors and that the matters are entirely a decision of the elected council. Uh, do you believe uh, that Joan Martin, the chief executive, may have been misguided in this 11th hour intervention? When I heard that first, uh, I was actually taken aback. As you know, I'm a former Dublin City councillor, and I spent in 1999 to 2002, I, I worked, uh, I served in Dublin City Council before I was elected to Dáil Airden. And can I say that I was absolutely astounded when I heard that advice that was sent out to all elected councillors. The bottom line is the advice given there by the department I, 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 and again, I haven't seen it in print, but I would say that's the advice that I would go on. But I never, in my years as a councillor, of course, I, on very controversial issues, you might get private legal advice and people would check things out for you. But as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing illegal about that motion going through Drogheda Council, and that's the key thing, because I, I think... Uh, again, this is another point that I'd raise as well as I believe one of the councillors wanted to have a private meeting. I'd just like to remind them all, they're councillors, they're public representatives, they had the honour of being elected by the people of Drada, and they should come out clearly and support the victims of child sexual abuse. And some of our listeners are, are concerned, they've been letting us know that those public representatives have responded by saying no comment on this issue to this programme. I just, I'm very, very disappointed with that. And I, I don't understand it because when you're a, when you're a councillor, I mean, I remember when I was a councillor, and I loved being a councillor in Dublin City Council, and I really enjoyed it before, before I had to leave because of the dual mandate came in. But, but the bottom line is, you're, you're, you had the honour of being elected by the people uh, in your constituency, in this case, Strada, and you should go out there to represent them and be public about your policies. But the key thing is, if you're a councillor, you should, uh, compassion should be top of your agenda. So when it comes to the survivors of child uh, his, uh, sexual abuse, that should be issue number one. In, in, in the, in the public, it's in the public interest. And this is a grave wrong that's been uh, made against these victims. And I think the councillors should kind of surprise, uh, should pull back and analyse why are they involved in politics if they cannot put the victims of child sexual abuse at the top of the political agenda and stop playing games and trying to score political points against Damon O'Farrell or myself on social media. I don't give a damn. I, I didn't... I'm retired from frontline politics and I went up to Loud to support the families. I went up to Loud to support, to, to support the victims and also to support Damien Farrell and people like that and Councillor Mayor But the bottom line is there's no hidden agenda here. The only agenda is we're trying to make sure that Brother Garvey and the Christian brothers 
hop onto themselves and sit down and act like Christian brothers and, and help and sort these victims out of child sexual abuse, but also to change that legal strategy that's causing so much trauma to these, uh, to these victims. And I think that is what the issue is about. It's got nothing to do with politics. It's got nothing to do with uh, 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 the uh, other issues coming in the background. It just reminds me, when I was Minister for Disabilities, I used to go up and down the country for four years, and I used to say it to everybody. I said, services for people with disabilities are not about the minister. They're not about the HSE. They're not about the Department of Health. They're about the person with the disability. And that's why I had the honour of representing Ireland over in the United Nations, ratifying the UN Convention uh, on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. And by the way, I wouldn't have got, I wouldn't have got, that took me two years to get through with all the different internal rows in the department. But I'm making the point is, let's all focus on the victims of, the, uh, of child abuse and give them our support and stop playing all sorts of silly games. Thank you very much indeed for taking our call and for joining us on the programme this morning. Finia McGrath, former Minister of State for Disability. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you've been hearing, the Electoral Commission has made recommendations to the Oireachtas, uh, which is going to see a significant change to the political landscape uh, and indeed all of the electoral constituencies for the next Dáil and European uh, elections. Let's speak uh, to our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. A very good morning to you, Sean. Thanks for joining us. 14 more TDs. What more can you tell us? Yeah, so if you look at the national picture, like you say, 14 more TDs uh, going to be across 43 constituencies instead of the 39 that had been there. So fairly big changes really across the country. If you're looking at probably the biggest changes, you look at Dublin Fingal, so not too far south of you. That's been split into two constituencies, Fingal East and Fingal West. Also, Wicklow and Wexford, probably the other biggest constituency changes, where there was two, a five-seater of Wicklow and a five-seater of Wexford. There's now three constituencies, a four-seater in Wicklow running from Bray to Wicklow Town. Below that, a three-seat Wicklow-Wexford constituency running from Rathdrum in the north to just north of Enniscorthy, where they basically divided the Wicklow-Wexford constituency, and then a four-seater below that. Big problems there for the incumbent TDs in Wicklow and Wexford, where there are five of them in now four-seat constituencies. Looking elsewhere, Tipperary has been split back into two three-seat constituencies, as it was in the past, adding an extra seat, as has Leash and Offaly. They've been through a, a bit of a motion. It was Leash Offaly for years. It was split to Leash and Offaly in 2016, reformed in 2020, and is now split again. There's overall four extra seats for Dublin, including one in Dublin, Rathdown, which will help the Green Party Deputy Leader, Catherine Martin, uh, retain her seat. Also two extra in Cork, one in Cork North Central, which takes in bits of the wider county, and Cork South Central again. And then the other extra uh, seats coming in Galway East and in Mayo, Longford West Mead, getting an extra TD, as does Kildare North. And then, of course, to the area that you really care about, Louth and mm. Mead. Yeah. So Mead West uh, is unchanged in terms of number of seats. It's got three seats still. Mead East is taking back a big chunk of Mead that was in the Louth constituency the Julianstown, Laytown, Bettystown kind of an area and gets an extra seat so that becomes a four-seater with some of, of Mead. Basically, they've left Drogheda and sort of south of Drogheda some of the hinterlands there in the five-seater Loud constituency but reduce that population to bring it back into to line with that constitutional barrier of one TD for every 30,000 people. OK, when is the next election? Because I, I think people in that uh, section of East Meath may be concerned that their TDs uh, 
have lost interest all of a sudden because when they stand for re-election, uh, they'll only be looking for votes in Louth. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of an interesting one. The next election is probably going to be October, November of next year, I would think. Um, like, you have to look at, at how it's balanced out. And in a lot of the submissions, in fairness to the Electoral Commission, people were saying, keep Drogheda in the same constituency. Whatever you do about the tinkering around the edges, keep Drogheda there, because, you know, Drogheda in the hinterlands, even though some of it is in County Mead, um, is, you know, they, they should be treated as one and they should be under one one, one system, one, one TD. And that's kind of what they've done just for bringing some of, of Juniontown out of it. I should mention some of the other changes there mm. uh, in that the Mid-East is getting a number of electoral districts back from Cavan Monaghan. That was a change that has been sort of addressed. So that's about 4,000 people coming back in in the sort of uh, Carrigalekarda area of the north end of the constituency. Mead uh, West is actually losing about 9,500 people into the Longford West Mead part of the constituency over in the West. That addresses the concern there because there was actually an argument that Mead West should have had an extra TD if it had stayed as it was, but it's mm. losing population there uh, to go. And as I mentioned then, obviously Loud uh, is uh, losing some of that Mead area, uh, uh, which is, is going into Mead East constituency. So a lot of changes. You wonder who they'll affect. I mean, if you're looking at Loud, yeah. maybe some of Fergus O'Dowd's vote in the south of the constituency might be gone there. A little bit of Jed Nash's as well out of Drogheda and then you know you wonder like could someone like independent uh, Senator Sharon Cohen benefit in Mead East she obviously did quite well uh, in that area in the local elections a number of years ago and that that comes into the Mead East where she she ran last time so you're sort of looking at those Dundalk and that kind of area not affected a huge amount by the redrawing here Alright and all of this has to do with uh, the population but more so to do with the constitution and because we've had this increase in the population which is now at 5.1 million people we need more TDs because you have to have one TD for between every 20 and 30,000 people Uh, and uh, that means an additional 14 TDs. If we look at uh, the results last time round uh, in Mead East, uh, it really was uh, the three big parties, wasn't it? Sinn Féin, Darren O'Rourke, Helen McEntee for Fine Gael, Thomas Byrne for Fianna Fáil, uh, followed uh, then by Regina Doherty, who didn't get uh, elected because it was a three-seat constituency. Uh, but she's uh, now going to stand, uh, I think, in Fingal, in one of uh, two constituencies uh, that uh, Fingal uh, will have next time around, if I'm correct. Uh, so what does that mean? Uh, you think... It, it could be good news for Sharon Kyogen if she decides to run again. Uh, she did very well, as you say. So did the Green Party. Uh, but Fine Gael will obviously want to get a, a, another seat there. Do you think that that's a possibility for them? Will they be looking at that? Uh, they're probably looking at it. Whether they can do it is another argument. I mean, Regina Doherty is going to run probably in the West Fingal constituency with Alan Farrell running in Fingal East. So she's going to be in that area, won't be in the constituency, obviously was a minister for the area before that. So you wonder, would you cast a few eyes back and say, ah, maybe I won't move after all, but I think after declaring it so so vocally, it's hard to do that. Uh, you know, Laytown's Bettystown, as I said, Sharon Kilgan topped the poll there in 2019 with uh, more than 2,000 votes. And then in the Mealy's constituency, uh, she got 2,475 votes. And after that, it was Sean McKay with the Green Party, came fifth, if you like, in Meadie. So it's hard to say where that will go. And I remember Darren O'Rourke was elected 
uh, on the uh, second count last time around for Sinn Féin. You wonder now that that's a four-seater, will they consider running a second? Uh, could that be a second Sinn Féin siege, very possibly, if their vote increases even more substantially? Sinn Féin got 24.4% of the votes there last time. If that goes up to even around where they're polling, if that goes up to 35% and they can cannibalise some of the other votes that would have gone maybe to, to the Green Party or to, to Labour, to someone like Annie Hoey maybe, uh, you wonder, could they take a second seat? So that, that might be where it unfolds. Certainly wide open there, and it does make it a lot easier for, obviously, Helen McEntee and Thomas Byrne as sitting TDs to retain a seat in a four-seater uh, is easier than trying to do it in a three-seater. OK, will there be any difference uh, in uh, the constituencies in the European elections? Yeah, so there's, there's not a massive amount of change. We haven't really looked into detail of it, although there mm. was a recommendation. So basically what they've done is that they still have four seats in Dublin Northwest, four in Midlands Northwest, and, and five in Dublin South. Now, the, the difficulty is Ireland might be getting an extra seat from the European Parliament. But the European Parliament has been quite uh, tardy, really, in deciding how that is going to happen, how the extra seats are going to be divided across Europe. So even though there is a recommendation in this document, talking to people in the Electoral Commission, they were saying, look, we're probably going to have to revisit this in a couple of months or two and go back to consultation because it's likely that there will be an extra seat uh, put in. Where does that go? Could somewhere mm. like, you know, Offaly tip into Midlands Northwest and you add a fifth seat there uh, to balance the five seats in the south and the four in Dublin? Possibly, but we don't really know yet because everyone is waiting on that. So less than ideal conditions for them to be putting this together, but, um, but yeah, yeah, that's what they've done. Okay, so the next European elections in June, I think, uh, same time as the local elections, uh, these changes won't uh, have uh, any impact on local districts or, or the amount of councillors, will it? No, so what they've largely done is that they have taken entire local electoral districts and moved them in terms of dual constituencies. So, you know, the people in, in, in Julianstown, for example, will still be voting for Mead County Council and they will be, but they will now be in the Mead East constituency. But where, and I, I haven't seen it at the moment, um, albeit we only got this report a little while ago, sure. any breaches of actual local electoral districts. So that, that looks as though it's staying the same. That was one thing that was reflected very heavily in the submissions to the Commission and something they acknowledged at the press conference earlier. Okay, what has the reaction been to this? Uh, Because each of uh, the political parties will look at where there's extra seats to be gained uh, and how they might fare in those constituencies. What have you heard from the political parties uh, at this stage, Sean? Yeah, well, isn't it funny that everyone seems to be delighted uh, (laughs) whenever (laughs) you ask them? They all say, they all say, yeah, yeah, great for me, absolutely Mm. fantastic. Um, but no, a lot of people do. I mean, look, this is definitely on the conservative end of where the commission could have gone. They could have gone to 121. They could have decided to future-proof things, uh, and they've decided not to do that. And the changes in some areas are pretty minimal or were pretty well flagged. I mean, for example, the changes to, to Louth and Mies East, we, we predicted a couple of days ago, and it came true fairly bang on to what people thought. Um, other areas, yeah, they've been, there's been a bit more of a, a swinging axe, I think, particularly in... Wicklow and Wexford, that's going to be interesting where you have five TDs now fitting into four. It will be interesting to see whether some, particularly the Fine Gael TDs who have seen their areas change, will decide to, to add the names to the retirement lists, uh, long list of Fine Gael TDs who are retiring now. Uh, others, I mean, it'll be interesting to see the split, and I, I, you would probably know better of the, the local electoral areas around Drogheda as to whether that will damage the likes of Jed Nash or the, the likes of Fergus O'Dowd, whether it will take more of their votes around. I think it probably takes more from O'Dowd than it does uh, from Nash. So that will be a particularly interesting one. And then there will be other, uh, you know, in the other constituencies that were more carved up, say, Tipperary, for example, 
that poses a difficulty for some parties because you would presume there is a Sinn Féin seat in each of the two. There's also definitely an independent seat in each of the two between Matt McGrath and Michael Lowry. That leaves one seat for Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and everyone else to fight over. Interesting that they've added pretty largely in the commuter belt as well because they're north becoming a five-seater, Wicklow getting its extra seat, an extra seat in South Dublin in Rathdown, which will probably help the Green Party deputy leader, Catherine Martin, hang on to her seat in what is a particularly mm. pernickety constituency. So, yeah, there's interesting changes all around, but it's not wholesale. It's not as big as it could have been. OK, we'll leave it there, Sean. Thank you indeed. Much appreciated. That's our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, uh, thanks uh, to James in Drada, who's in touch about uh, the Christian brothers who abuse children and how the order is uh, protecting itself from being sued through uh, legal strategy, perfectly legal, nothing wrong with it in the eyes of the law, but absolutely wrong, according to the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, uh, and uh, one that was introduced by Brother Edmund Garvey, victims of abuse, asking uh, that uh, freedom of uh, Drahada be rescinded from Garvey. James says, child abuse committed by religious orders is in the name of God, so then it must be an act of God, which is a crime apparently not admissible by the courts. Uh, Baz says, can the victims not name the brothers who abused them? This is where it gets complicated, uh, Baz. Yes, uh, they can. Uh, And uh, most of the abusers who we're talking about have been named. Uh, This is not a a case uh, against the abusers. This is a case against the order, but the order won't nominate a person. As I say, this is where it gets complicated. Uh, Everybody else does this. Uh, But it's a loophole in the law because they're an unincorporated body. And uh, they uh, have taken the position uh, that they won't nominate somebody. So uh, if you were abused as a child, you have to uh, sue all of the brothers uh, who are alive today uh, at the time that you were abused. And um, that uh, in one instance, listen to this, Baz, in one instance, that was over 160 brothers and uh, none of them did anything. (laughs) <laughs> but they were all being sued. They were uh, in every corner of the world. They were in nursing homes, some had dementia. Uh, they were very upset, obviously, at uh, getting uh, sued over child sexual abuse when they were innocent elderly men. Uh, but that's what the order is choosing to do. So, uh, yes, they can name them, uh, but the order uh, isn't naming uh, the people who can be sued unless there's a court order, it seems. Tom and Navin was in touch with us because uh, we were speaking to Jackie Taff yesterday and he says, I don't get what Jackie was saying uh, when she said, Drogheda cares about children and sexually abused children. The dogs in the street knew what Michael Shine was dr- doing, but there was no support. Politicians were a joke, so no comment, no comment, no comment is no bloody surprise, says Tom. Uh, thanks uh, for that. Um, uh, indeed, uh, Margaret says, uh, in relation to attacks on Guard D, anyone who uh, attacks any emergency responder going out to protect the public should be given a mandatory prison sentence. Uh, thank you indeed for that. Um, we'd uh, Jackie Taff in touch with us actually uh, a little bit earlier on and uh, she said, would you uh, thank John Walsh for his message to the programme this morning? Glad to do that. And she said, would you read this out? In matters of conscience, no comment is an unacceptable response. Leadership 
falters when elected representatives choose silence over courage. For true strength lies not in words withheld, but in the unwavering commitment to voice the concerns of those they represent. Thanks, Jackie. Um, we'd uh, another message uh, from somebody who says I hope Michael that you remember how these councillors ignored you and the people especially next year when they're lined up outside your door looking to get on the air to get elected thank you indeed uh, for that Uh, well it's uh, very close at the moment uh, it has to be said just uh, in terms of how this vote is looking uh, because as you know, uh, we uh, have uh, Paddy McQuillan, who has said he will support the motion, but up to recently says he's nothing further to add to that. Yesterday, we heard from the two Sinn Féin councillors. I don't think I mentioned this to you on the programme yesterday, but both Joanna Byrne and Tom Cunningham are going to support the motion. That's the two Sinn Féin councillors. And we heard earlier in the week um, through a separate organisation that the Labour Party, two of the Labour, two of the three Labour Party councillors are going to vote in favour of it. That's Michelle Hall and Emma Cutlip. That's five out of the ten at this stage saying they will vote in favour to rescind the freedom of Drogheda. By the way, uh, there's been uh, questions from the uh, chief executive, uh, but the department says there's no legal issue. Uh, P.O. Smith uh, has said he won't uh, and has not uh, is not going to comment uh, for some time. James Byrne has said no comment. Kevin Callan has said no comment. Uh, Declan um, uh, has said no comment. And Eileen Tully has said no comment. Uh, so that leaves five. If they all vote against Eileen Tully as the mayor, will have the casting vote and will vote, vote twice, it seems, against what the victims are asking for. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.